Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Distribution First. I am super pumped to have Allie here from Simple Strat, and we'll see where this episode goes, but I'm really, really interested in trying to help folks. A lot of the conversations I have are around just honestly complete burnout and the struggle of creating and keeping up and all those things. So I, I thought it'd be fun to bring Allie on and talk about the content hamster wheel. How do we get off it? What are some strategies we can use? How can we convince our boss to help us that we kind of need to go in this route? But I think maybe to start and to frame up the conversation, I thought it'd be fun to basically take a hypothetical here. And, you know, you're a content marketer, you're sort of maybe we'll even say you're kind of owning content marketing. We'll say that. And you just find yourself completely burnt out. You found yourself trying to create stuff to move the needle, prove your worth, try not to get laid off, you know, all those different things. What's step one? Where would you even begin in that scenario to like just take a step back and assess what's going on? Yeah, I think that's hard based on each company and how they define success. But first and foremost, I would say, let's even take a step back from that and say, how in my job, whether you're in an agency or an in-house, like how in my job am I measured on success? And I think if you were to ask the executive team that, and most people are looking at like the bottom line, how it shakes out into sales and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so usually the pieces need to be better aligned. But what usually happens is this feeling of new things. I've created 10 new pieces. I've done 15 more webinars. I've done all these things. Like we kind of think that that's how we're defined. And then we get on this hamster wheel of doing more and more and more. And then you only have, you know, a small number of people at your webinar. So let's do another webinar instead of saying, this was great content. How can we get more people to just see this original content? So I think we have to go all the way back to what are we creating? Are people engaging with it in a way that eventually turns out into leads? Because let's face it, I think Justin, you and I have been in this case where 
data is one piece, how we tell the story with that data is another. So if I can actually show, like I can pull up my HubSpot instance right now. We have a webinar that runs the first Wednesday and the, and the third Wednesday of every month. I can pull up that webinar and I can show you exactly who is new, where they came from, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, you know, outreach, whatever. I can also show everyone who's on our email list who converted to our email list from our YouTube channel previous months and now they're attending our webinars and now they're on our sales qualified list. So like, I think some of that digging into your actual like analytics instance is very eye-opening because sometimes I'm gonna tell you reports don't show you that you have to go digging for the story and then pull that out and tell the story in a way that's like, let me show you what's happening with our content. Otherwise on the dashboard, they just see that like we're getting a lot of traffic, but no one's becoming customers. We don't need you content marketer people anymore. So, I mean, I think we're burned out because we're misunderstood by and large. <laughs> I've heard a lot of that online today, but I think uh, learning how to tell our story and prove our worth is situational, but it's also like one that you have to understand how to use that data to, to validate. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. And I think even, especially when you start to expand into the world of off your website distribution, where it gets murkier in terms of like, your impact and what's the point and why are we doing this? And I even experience this from time to time, especially with like algorithm changes and what's the purpose. And, you know, I see this person going viral with X type of content or should we be doing that? And I think when I take a step back, I just experienced this in the past week where it was like, I posted something, the engagement wasn't massive, but the people who were commenting and engaging, it was very revealing. I had multiple people say, I want to learn more about this. I wish you would go more in depth on this topic. And it was just a LinkedIn post, but that's pure validation, which will then spin up to a newsletter, a podcast episode, et cetera. Whereas before, if I wasn't doing that sort of like micro distribution, getting that content out there, validating those ideas, I would have no clue what to even write except outside of like keywords, you know? Yeah, I mean, you bring up a really good point. So I think... One of the things, and, and we're working on this a little bit at our company when we work with clients, is people who are on the other side of us making the sausage don't understand what's happening in the kitchen. And so all they look at is like what they're served as a meal. And so if the meal is like a blog post every Friday, that's one thing. They have no idea where those ideas for those blog posts came from. So what I've been considering doing, which maybe is a good internal thing too, is imagine going into a Slack community and screenshotting all the conversations that are happening about a problem and presenting that to the executive team saying, this is what's happening in dark social. Here's what dark social is. And here's how this is framing up our content strategy. So listen, as I tell you, content marketing now is 30% of our time is spent listening to the market. That's an important piece of content marketing that doesn't render itself as a piece of content, but it is critical for our success going forward. So like content listening, I don't know, give it some fancy name and call it something. But I think that's huge. And like your use of micro content validates that 100%. Yeah, it's probably a better, more tangible way to even just like research, right? Like research is very vague. Like, oh, we're going to, I'm going to do some research. Typically, that's like I'm going to pull up SEMrush or HRFs and like dig into some, you know, what are the topics? You know, if I type in this thing, what are we going to talk about? I think that more nuanced approach to content marketing is really what's going to set you apart. And I, I just feel this shift happening and it, it's very slow. It's definitely happening at the ground level. And I think your point to like being able to explain that to executives, to be able to explain that to your boss and your boss's boss is becoming increasingly important for content folks because the shift between 
like everything's going to be this nice, clean, like attribution to what we're doing compared to, I just keep hearing this over and over again when I'm having these conversations. And, you know, like some of that's like working with sales to understand because they're on way more calls than we typically are, or maybe even a customer success person or something like that, like being able to have those unique conversations with them as well. But it's also nice to just to your point of like the Slack community to just kind of see what the conversations are going on outside of like even like somebody you're trying to pitch because they're coming at either you have identified them or they've identified you in some way, shape or form. So it's still slightly biased in that case. And if you're getting a customer story, those are great, but they're still it's that sliver of, you know, how authentic is this real conversation versus just like scrolling the feeds, scrolling the Slack channels, getting into the communities, watching the, you know, creators who are putting stuff out on YouTube to just understand where is this whole thing going. Yeah. And I think one of the things that plays into our burnout, like along those lines is you get a new insight and you realize that you already have content (laughs) that answers this and it's been dormant for a year and it's somewhat evergreen and just kind of needs to be spruced up and repositioned. I mean, there's a couple things in human psychology there that need to happen. One is like, you may find that your internal organization thinks that you created a new asset because they forgot about it too. <laughs> thousand percent. So you can be just as effective with your current content if you simply respin it. So we've got a new video coming out about HubSpot lifecycle stages. We teach a lot about HubSpot and the lifecycle stages are something that now you can edit. We still advocate that you should not edit beyond probably 20% because the most of, of the way you set up your HubSpot instance is geared toward using these, these properties correctly. And so we're going to issue a new video that explains that a little bit further, that we've got a blog that's already on our site and we're just gonna retitle that, reshift it. And then what's fun, what I think most content marketers love doing is taking a concept and figuring out how to more creatively and effectively communicate that. So if we've written about it, okay, is there a flowchart that can better describe that? Is there a short that can better like tell the story? Is there an analogy? Is there like... How else can we take this and and shake it out? Can we use some sort of Barbie illustration? Because as we're recording this, like, you know, Barbie or or what is it called? Barbie Heimer or Oppenheimer is also out. You know, how can we use pop culture to tell this even further? Because that might be the thing that gets it to go viral. Nobody's going to go viral about life cycle stages. But maybe if we talked about Barbie's life cycle stages, that would be interesting. You know, so I, I think as content marketers, like burnout's one thing. But like, if we can put the burnout aside and say, what got me inspired to come in to this industry? I think it's that kind of stuff. And if we can showcase results by simply applying our creativity to, instead of, I mean, we call it repurposing. Repurposing sounds, it sounds kind of like Goodwill. Like you go shopping in a thrift store. Like it's not Goodwill. Repurposing is actually like applying a creative innovation. Thinking about it as instead of repurposing its content, innovation. So if you can apply that thinking, I think you can avoid that burnout because you're not creating new stuff. You're simply finding new angles for what you've already researched. Yeah. And it's interesting because not like nothing is worse as a content creator. I think two things you said that are so important. Inspiration for one, like when you're creating something new, We've all been there where there's thing one that you're creating and it's inspiring and it's awesome and you're excited and it's great and you want to share it. And then there's thing two that is like 
awful and been pitched down to you and been said, this is what we're making. And here might even be the title that we're making it for. Like, not that I've ever had to do this, but like, this is what you're creating. And it's just sucks the life out of you. I've literally had conversations where, like you said, I've pulled up the dashboards or pulled up like the content, like libraries for different folks within an org. And I've showed them like, you want to talk about this, like here's three white papers that you already made and maybe they just need to be updated. Maybe they're not perfect, but like we can just update that. Nah, we want something new. We want something fresh. And it's like, oh, I should have just like updated it and told them it was new. <laughs> exactly. You're right. You're you're dealing with the perception of need versus the actual need. And I think the further I get into business, the more I understand that every single day is this battle of psychological like, you know, overlords where we somehow need to help the folks we work with understand that our ideas, we plant them so that they're their ideas. Because mm. buy-in is the biggest mm-hmm. roadblock we all face when it comes to new ideas, especially when it's like, Justin, you're my, like, you are my content people. You're supposed to take my orders and deliver me my content goods. And yet, as a content creator, you're like, but I'm judged on effectiveness here. Like, do I, do I not get a say? So that's probably the thing that's causing burnout the most, I would say. Yeah, that's actually been one thing that I have been, thankfully, really good at in my career as I was moving up and doing different positions and even now coming into orgs and helping them do the same thing is kind of being able to just see the forest through the trees a little bit and take a step back and just assess as unbiasedly as I can of like, what's going on here? You know, like a perfect example is... I just started working with a client, looking through some of their stuff, auditing some of the things. And this happens probably with almost every new client that I've worked with this year. <laughs> and we always run through like, what are your main themes? What are your main topics? What do you want to talk about? What are those things? And then I look back, like in this case, I took a year look back at the content they made. I took a year look back at maybe not a year, probably two months worth of content that they were putting on LinkedIn. And then just cross-reference those things, right? Like we had this conversation. You all said this was the most important thing that we were talking about. You said this is the key themes that we have to get out. This is our point of view that we have in the ground. I didn't see any of it on your blog, which is your main channel for most of these companies, or on LinkedIn, which is the main distribution channel for these companies. And then I'm sure if you start to pull those layers back, it looks and feels the exact same on your newsletters and on your, you know... So I think that's where taking that sort of approach to just look through what's going on and just essentially present that to say, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's what the current situation is. How do we alleviate that? What? And I think you're bringing all the way back to the beginning, like, what's the goal? Like, what is marketing leader, VP, whoever, like, what's the goal with this content we're making? Like, I know inherently that you don't think the goal is just to create content, but based on action, that's what we're doing. (laughs) We're just creating content. (laughs) Yes. How do you find the education of like, let's say that that conversation comes up and they say we need to drive results, but that happens to be the current behavior. What's the first way you kind of tackle that from a conversational standpoint? Depends on the relationship, depends on how maybe, you know, internally, you know, might have more buy-in over a time period, right? Like if I've worked with these people working with a client, that even might depend on like how familiar are they with like my take on things, you know, when when we're having those initial conversations and what that might look like. 
But I think for most people, what I would suggest is like a pilot, like run a pilot. Like when I was at TechSmith, we did this where it was like, we found ourselves just running on this hamster wheel. I had a content team, two full-time writers. We were also doing like website content and blog content. And they're responsible for all of it, writing all this stuff. And they were, you know, just getting burned out. I lived that life too. And so as I was managing that team, I was like, okay, let's just take a step back. What if we worked in 10-week sprints at that time? I said, what if for 10 weeks, we didn't publish any new content? We were not allowed to publish any new content. And instead, what we did was update old blog posts. So add any new videos we might have. Like you said, like, what's that flow chart? What are those things we can create that make those better or just update the text? And then also going through existing content to redistribute back into newsletters, back onto social, all this stuff. Like we had hundreds of blog posts. Like if we took our top 20 blog posts that people read every month and redistributed those out, we don't need to create anything. And it was amazing because we got more conversions. We got more traffic because those posts started ranking better, all those type of things. And so it, was, it wasn't to say we're never going to create content again, but it was just kind of like validation to be like, okay, look, when we don't create for this amount of time, like here's kind of the results we're seeing. And so I think like maybe just running those short-term pilots of like, here's maybe what we could try. I did the same thing when I was a metadata. When I came in, they were publishing content like multiple times a week. And I just said, all right, let's just take a pause. Let's redistribute what we have. And then let's basically spread out the list of posts. So we're not posting one a week. We're not posting twice a week. Maybe we're posting twice a month, you know, like really spreading out that content and just seeing how it works. So I don't know. What do you think? What do you think, Allie? Yeah, I'm on that train too. I think the perception is what actually strips us off. And the perception is we need to be in regular communication with our audience. We need to have something posted every Friday because we need, like, they've grown to depend on us being at that bus stop every Friday. Okay, they haven't grown to say, is this new or have I seen this before? Like, that's not the goal. And so I think because internally, we think we're tired of our content, that the audience is tired of our content. And if anybody's ever parented a teenager or even like a four-year-old, like, you know, you got to say the thing over and over again. And like you say it multiple different ways because that's how we as humans eventually come to understand it. And that consistency of message comes in various forms, but it's true of our customers. They don't see the first, second, third, fourth, or maybe they see the first third and they don't see the second third. So us showing up regularly is actually the importance. It's not the, do we have new things to say? We just did a webinar last week and we're actually working on six reels that are coming from that webinar based on specific pain points that we talked about in the webinar. I guarantee you when we post these, if someone didn't listen or paid close attention to that part of the webinar, they're going to be like, that was so great. When can I learn more about that? And I was like, oh, we actually covered that during the webinar. Oh, I must have missed that part. We're always in this constant battle for people's attention. So let's not assume that they see everything we post. In fact, let's actually assume they see none of it (laughs) or like 98% of it they don't see. So let's make sure that they don't miss out on this value. Like they're going to the buffet and all they're eating is crackers. Let's make sure that they actually make it over to the salad bar and the steak, you know, station and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I've had this conversation a lot with folks over the years talking about repurposing, distribution, all those type of things. And one of the main things that I tend to see come up is this idea of like audience fatigue is one, like, oh, my audience is going to get fatigued if I talk about the same thing all the time. And I use this example, I'm going to be writing about this for a newsletter coming up, but think about somebody like Dave Ramsey, like love him or hate him, whatever, like top financial show in the world, probably. 
And I YouTube searched the other day, like, how many times has Dave or Dave's team posted a video about the baby steps? Oh, I was going to say, or the debt snowball. Or the debt snowball. <laughs> like, just search any of the buzzwords yeah. around Dave Ramsey's program. And I just kept scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And it's like, or honestly, like, take either of those things. Like, he's been saying the same thing for 30 years. Like, the program hasn't changed. You think, oh, man, I've got to, like, switch up my program. And I got, like, now everybody knows, like, my seven-step framework. And I've got to, like, come up with a new seven-step framework and help them out with this. And it's like, I take those examples as to say, okay, if this guy can be the most successful radio show on finance for 30 years... And he's got the same seven steps and they don't change. And he talks about them all the time. And people still call him to show after all these years. And the information is nothing really changes. It's like, I'm in debt. I need help. You know, like <laughs> it's the same problems. And yet they go on air every day. And there's adjustments and shifts and all those things. But I just think, man, like we need to do a better job of thinking about our content and our marketing in that same way where it's you do not need to reinvent the wheel, it's actually hurting you in the long run to be reinventing the wheel every time because then you're actually creating that audience fatigue because it's like, wait a second, I thought you were the X person. I thought you were the Y. Th wait, Ellie, you're HubSpot? I thought, now you're talking about, I thought you were my person for this. Like, I thought you were going to help me with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, really right at the time that someone starts to understand your message is the time that most companies will shift what they're doing because they think they're getting tired of it. And for us, again, we are three years in, almost three years into our YouTube journey on teaching HubSpot. We're over, I don't know, 110 videos or something of that nature. You would think that we've exhausted the amount of things we can talk about with HubSpot. Oh my gosh, Justin, we have an Airtable filled with 250 videos we haven't even made yet. We could make a video every day at the new things that come out on the platform. But just like I was telling someone on a webinar yesterday that the goal is not to exhaust our people so that they, they get overwhelmed with content. We're already overwhelmed with content. We are in the age where like you, if you want to learn anything and you can't learn it, like it is your fault. Like, <laughs> like you are lazy if you can't learn something or maybe you do need to be taught. Like there are online classes, there's webinars, there's videos, there's books, there's whatever. We now need to realize that consistency of message is actually a trust enabling exercise because people do not want to be swayed. And all of a sudden, I trust you, Justin. And then two years later, you're not doing what I initially watched your videos over here about. Or two months later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are right there. Well, I think what's interesting about Dave Ramsey and folks like that is they've figured out how to not every time a platform comes out, they're like, we're now on TikTok. We're now on this. We're now on threads. They just kind of silently test some things over there do the lurking around and filling it out before they make big announcements of their shift because nobody wants to be jerked around to try and figure out where to go. And they've done a good job. I mean, it's on my mind to like eventually like do a reverse engineer of some of their stuff because I think it's really unique in how they do it. And again, like you can like their advice or not, but I think they've done a really good job. And I've seen this over the years of like expanding to like, now they have multiple personalities. They have multiple YouTube channels. They have multiple, like, so you can, which I think smart, brands, smart companies are starting to do and are able to do, which is like, even if you don't like Dave's personality, his daughter is much nicer yes. and, you know, like much more friendly and a millennial. And mm -hmm. so if you don't want to hear from the grumpy old man take, you can come <laughs> yeah. listen to her and she'll be more encouraging and, and lead you along. So I think it's just interesting. Like the topic isn't necessarily that different or changing, but they're able to reframe it with a different personality or a different take or a different opinion. I think it's cool.
Yeah. The thing that I think is interesting for us now is we're, so we've, HubSpot Hacks is a a well-established series on YouTube. Again, if you are a listener and a HubSpot user and you don't subscribe, like tons and tons of value for you over there. But we're now taking this webinar content and we're saying we have two 60-ish, maybe 40-ish minutes of content a month, twice a month, that we now can leverage in some way. And the last thing most people want to do, we're still giving it to the market in this way because it's expected, but the last thing most people want is to, yay, I can watch a recorded webinar. (laughs) Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to watch a recorded webinar. Mostly because most webinars are terrible. I would say ours ours are very good. I've gotten a lot of really good feedback on our webinars. But we have all of these pieces that come out of the webinar and nobody wants to say, watch our six shorts that came out of this webinar. So this is where, again, the innovation comes in to say, okay, if we're going to have these shorts, can we make them into something fun and spicy so that the shorts have a mind, have a life of its own? So maybe like, hey, everybody, we're going to do 10 days of thought leadership tips, sign up to follow along, and it's a short-term commitment. You get one video a day for 10 days, and then we're done. We've exhausted that. We're over, but it's a chance to re-engage our audience into something that they maybe have already watched. But I just went through the reels that were pulled from our team, and they reminded me of things that I was like, this is valuable and it's only 60 seconds long. So can I get 10 days of 60 seconds from our audience? Absolutely. Is it a different sign up? Yes. So I think if we can encourage our teams to think like that, it is fun and we can actually ignite our audience in a new way. So two questions. I'll start with the first one in my head. How are you executing on that? Is that an email that you're sending out and saying, hey, sign up for these 10 shorts? Or like, how are you actually getting that or is it just much more natural of like, we're uploading the shorts for 10 days straight and what's your execution distribution plan on those shorts? For the shorts, we're gonna start with social. So we'll, we'll start there and see how that goes for 10 days. A couple things that I've, I've tested. So I know you've done a couple things like this too, where it's like, we've created an insanely valuable template to post on LinkedIn. And so I posted like a screenshot of that that went kind of crazy and nuts. And so that getting people to just comment, like I want this template. So I'm using a couple of different mechanisms to put this out. And actually, the thinking behind this is not so much the reels. The thinking behind this is learn how I took one webinar and made it into 50 pieces of content. Mm-hmm. Here mm-hmm. is my playbook. And so like, as we get people engaging with this content, then, then we're going to come back and say, do you realize that this was all created with this one piece of content? Would you like our playbook? So it's kind of a reverse engineer of what I want at the end. But I will most likely have folks sign up for the 10 on my email list, not on our company's email list. Got you. Cool. Yeah. When you're creating these reels, you're literally pulling the clips out of the webinar and then just editing them in a shorts format. You're not like recreating or writing a particular script or anything like that off of it. No, no. So we use Descript. We're big fans of Descript. And so we have a team member who goes through the webinar, pulls clips, and then we export those into MP4s. We export our SRTs. We've got a style guide established and a template that we want to follow. And so we have video editors that can do that. And typically, if I'm bringing new video editors in the mix, I actually have two, two or three editors work on the same projects at once. Because that'll quickly vet out like, ooh, out of these three, I like this one the best. Why do I like this one the best? Or (laughs) all three of them are great. That's a wonderful problem to have. But typically what I've seen happen over the years is when people pull in new creative resources to make new content, they hire one, they do it. It doesn't turn out great. They miss their deadlines. And then it's like all contractors are terrible. And it's just like anything new. You got to hedge your bets and you have to figure out how to iterate and learn fast. 
So you you hire outside resource, mm-hmm. just a, like a few freelance video editors or something like that, and you give them all the same criteria. And then of those, you're like, all right, I like these ones. Yep. And sometimes because, so this is probably where it's not fair for me to talk about my process because I have video editing in my wheelhouse. I'm sure you do as well. Where if I am concerned about a deadline, I will create a very basic premiere template where I'm like, this is exactly what I want. Because otherwise you end up with this, like what's in my head doesn't end up being in their head. Yep. And there's that miscommunication, even in written content where I'm like, I want the blog to look like this. And if I don't have it mocked up in XD, they don't know. So thankfully, my team has gotten really good at us communicating what we want internally. So now it's like, how do we bring in outside resources to see that vision faster and then achieve that visual result? Sometimes templates are like, I would say half the time we use templates to guide that process. So when you're doing this webinar setup, after you've done a few of these now, you've kind of got the shorts process under your belt. Are you now at the point where you're able to think ahead when you're even like thinking through the webinar topics and thinking through like what we're going to talk about to be like, that's going to be a good short topic. That could be a good reel. Like, are you are you at that point in the workflow? Yes and no. So two things. If you haven't ever edited someone else's content into shorts, I would encourage you to do that. Because you will learn that the way we typically talk like this on a show like this, we do not do a good job of setting up a problem in our everyday conversation so it can be pulled out into a chunk that is hook, hook-worthy and exciting. What we typically do in our everyday conversations is just have conversations that make sense in the moment, but if you're not there, you, you lack context. What we need to do in shorts and reels is set it up like you would in a news interview where you, where you repeat the question, you then provide a little bit of a, a curiosity loop into that conversation, you talk through it, and then you offer a transitional sentence. If you can learn how to deliver your webinars in that way, every time you have a main point, that makes it easier to pull out shorts. If you don't, you just kind of have rambly, middle of the road content, which is better than nothing, but it's not really going to perform that well as a short, which then people are like, well, shorts aren't that aren't worth it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I got to think through how to do this podcast, you know, now it's like, (laughs) oh man, because it's the same thing, right? Like you got the podcast, whether it's you sort of, it's a little easier. I found it on the ones where like, I'm just kind of, I have something I want to, you know, rant about and I'm going to talk about this thing. Like, and I can kind of set it, set myself up for that and, and try to provide the context there. But yeah, it's tough. I think it's really tough with like the short form distributed content. Like, there is so much of it out there. So like I, to me, I'm really like, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Like I internally struggle with the balancing act of like sometimes good enough just has to be good enough to get something out there. I know the best of the best quality does matter. And I like I think like perfect situation, obviously everything I'm going to be able to create is like the best thing and I can't wait to get it out there. That's just not how it works. So I think like trying to find that middle ground is important to be like, well, I'm getting this content out there. And the funny thing too is with like, even like LinkedIn, like LinkedIn hates video. I still post videos all the time. I'm like, LinkedIn <laughs> hates videos, like whatever. Eventually I'll make it to YouTube like you, Allie. But at this point, one of the funny things that I've heard this twice, two or three times in the last week was like, in my, again, engagement has been fairly low on videos in particular, but it's like, oh, I'm seeing your videos all over. I'm seeing, you know, and it's like, Okay. Like it's a balance of like, okay, even if I didn't watch that thing, it's sort of like seeing the email pop up in my feed and like, 
I'm not unsubscribing, but I'm also not going to consume that content right now. But I, I see you. I see your email. You know, I like you still. I'm just I can't do it right now. Do you feel that at all? The biggest thing we have to learn as content creators is that engagement does not equal awareness. Mm. Engagement does not equal awareness. And the reason for that is the same conversations you and I have had about, I saw that, Allie, I saw that in my feed, and nowhere can I find that they followed it, liked it, commented on it, whatever that may be. And LinkedIn does give us view analytics. And I think sometimes (laughs) it's terrible, but I look at those view analytics and I'm like, wah, wah, even though it's like 400 but I only had two likes, 400, but two likes. And I am in that same boat. I will see something come across my feed, but because of the situation or because maybe it's like, if I like that, it might look a little irrelevant in my feed. I don't like it, but I see it. And that is the very essence of also why I support sending emails, even if they don't open them, because you get your name and your subject line into their inbox, which is also why I advocate for never sending an email with a topic newsletter because nobody wants to see that in their inbox. They want to feel heard, they wanna feel seen, and they wanna feel understood. So if you can do that type of content, mediocre, if they feel seen, understood, you can do not the best quality content, but the best recording with the best editing, with the best hooks and all these things for people that's not relevant to me is a waste. Yeah, and two, it's like getting started. The video side is, I just had some of the last episode or a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about video and B2B and like how it's still such a low (laughs) barrier of entry to like do anything that isn't a blog post. Like I forget what study I just saw the other day, but it was the vast majority, 90 plus percent of people's content strategies are still SEO blog post based. And it's just like, as much as sort of the echo chamber that I'm in anyway of like media company stuff and like building that up and seeing what Lavender is doing, seeing seeing what these other companies that are doing that are pretty unique, it's still not the norm. And it's still not like most people would be very intimidated to even have this conversation that we're having right now, which I think is a good reminder. So like, yeah, just getting started, like, Eventually, for right now, I don't do any shorts, short form content. That's like me looking at the camera, like scripted doing that. Like, I think it'd be cool to try it. And I have to get over that of like, it's going to suck at the beginning. Like, it's going to be ridiculous. (laughs) You're just going to be bad. Who cares? Like, you can edit like the magic of editing, right? Like, you know, uh, as the video editing side, like you can make jump cuts. You can make, you know, certain things like you can flip things around and get that, you know, sentence to sound how you want it to sound. So I think there are ways to be able to do that and to not feel like you have to have it all figured out. So again, like however you end up, whether it's a podcast or whether it's webinars that you want to cut up, like I think it's super impressive if a company can start taking their webinars and just start cutting them up for social or taking the top things and repurposing and remixing them into newsletters. Like That's really, really impressive because most companies aren't doing that. And if you can do that, it might not like hit the register, like the mark right away, but like that will compound over time. Those skills that you're learning to build up compound so much over time to like, now you know a little bit about video. Now you know a little bit about repurposing. You can think about the strategy in terms of like, oh gosh, we did this webinar guys and I tried to cut it and we said nothing interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so like if if you did this webinar and you can't find anything interesting to show, it's like, all right, the next webinar we do, everybody, like it's got to be good. Or mm-hmm. I just ran into this, like, you know, I was cutting some stuff up for a client and I said, hey, 
do we happen to have the full video of the faces for thing? And they're like, no, we just because it was like slides. Right. And so Zoom will like give you the slides in a little corner. I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting, uh, you know, an interesting challenge to figure out how to use this and repurpose this. But again, it's like that thought ahead to say, all right, if we do a webinar, can we do a local recording of everybody's face somehow? How do we do that? There's all those little things you learn that unless you start figuring it out and doing it, you just won't. Yeah. I mean, you are spot on. What I love about that is it's that old saying, slow down to go fast. If you think through your journey before you go on it. So when I travel, I typically write out a list of things that I typically, like I have never know of like things like packing lists, right? And then when I travel, I look at my days and I, I literally get out a blank sheet of paper and I draw blocks on my day. And I'm like, this block, I'm going to be at the conference. This block, I'm going to be at an after party. This block, I'm going to be here. And I just literally write in what I would need. Like, I need a dress. I need lounge clothes. Mm. I need whatever. So, like, I block my way through the schedule so that when I look at my packing list, I can get detailed. But I've done the high-level thinking of, like, oh, you know what? I only do need this. Or, like, there's literally no time for me to run in here. I just, I'm not going to pack my running stuff. Because you just, you get overzealous about what you can do in the moment. And then you overpack and you're, again... The reason I say this is if you look at that blocking and tackling methodology in a webinar, you you say, okay, I need to have at least three valuable sound bites to come out of this webinar. I think they're going to come from this part, this part, and this part. So if nothing else, if nothing else goes right in your webinar, write down three introductory sentences you can use and answer on the webinar because you know that when you say that, that will be the snippet that you use. And the greatest thing about that is you could use Descript to find where you said that if you do follow your script and then boom, it's so much easier for you. So give yourself some permission to be strategic before you just jump in. And then your future self, I think of myself as like current Allie and future Allie. Future Allie is so much, I like her so much more because then current Allie says, thank you, future Allie for thinking in this way, right? So if you can think through that and block it, it's it just makes your repurposing and even like the demonstrative value to your team so much better. Absolutely. It's a huge gap, actually, which is interesting. The more I noticed this when I took over my content team originally, because I now had video folks, I had social media, I had website and blog. And what I realized was there really isn't a thread and a through line to those pieces in most orgs. It's very disjointed. And so I think like for somebody running content and there's so much like interdependent play when you're working with an org, right? Like, especially the bigger the org gets, the more complex, the more silos, the more things everybody's doing. So like, I want to like give grace to these companies who are, you know, depending on where you work, but I think just getting everybody kind of rallied around what you want to do and like being the person who can connect the dots, I think is maybe the best way I want to say this. Like if you're the content marketer, even if you're not running the webinar, maybe it's product marketing who's running the webinar, but like, you know, they're doing that and you don't run social either, but maybe you do, or you, you know, you're working with somebody like, how can all of you all get in a room to have the conversation before that's getting done. And that's this is true regardless. It could be an ebook, it could be a webinar, it could be a podcast episode, it could be whatever. What are we doing after we're done with this? How do we make that successful? Social owner, what's the biggest pain point you have of like, we've got this webinar? Well, most of the time, in my experience, it's, 
I didn't know we had one or now I have to go watch it or what's it about? Who's it on? Why do they care? Like, it's such a disconnect between like getting that thing created and then like actually getting out to the audience. Same if you're writing emails or whatever, like we're doing what? Oh, okay. Like getting everybody in the room, connecting those dots, being able to tie those in. Yeah. If there's a fast way to do that, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that we know what we need to do our jobs. We just have to fight for that. And once people do see the value in that, like once you've had a consistent meeting once a quarter talking about how we repurpose our webinars, when the success starts to roll out of that, it'll be like, okay, yes, we need to have that now about podcasts. We need to have that now about videos. So I think it's those, just like anything in business, like I see marketing as a both external operation. And then also we're always marketing to our internal teams. So what's important to them? How do I understand what's important to them? How do I make it easy for them to take a next step? Use your marketing skills and make sure you market to your internal folks too. Thousand percent. I like made that my job for like a year. It was like, <laughs> I need to be able to convince the right people that this is the way to move. Because for years we were doing the SEO content hamster wheel and it was like, all right, like we need to try to you know, move off of this? How do we start to do that? So what's your advice for somebody who is trying and they're banging their head into a wall? Like organization is just a struggle. Like this is, I can't convince whoever to shift my goals. They're still want, like, how do we get, Justin, how do we get a thousand leads? Allie, how do we get, you know, we need blah, 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 MQLs, you know, how do we do that? Like, where do we even begin in that sort of scenario? So there's two things that I wouldn't recommend people do if they're struggling to get leader buy-in, or if they're being tasked with things that seem completely crazy and you're banging your head against the wall. One is identify if you are willing to take that challenge, because some people will simply play the victim. My job's terrible. My boss is mad. Da, da, da. Everything is their fault. It's not your fault. So if you're in that position, I'm going to encourage you to look in a mirror because we're all half of one problem. So if you haven't bucked up and said, I part of this is on me to figure out how to better communicate with my upper management or coworker, whatever it is. That's one. Two, if you've done that, the second thing I'd encourage you to do is really spend time understanding what they care about and have conversations with them. So the difference between you marketing internally and you marketing externally is externally, you're trying to get buy-in from people who don't know you, don't care about you, have no skin in the game. They can walk away at any moment. When you're working with someone, your boss should feel that they owe you time. So if you say, here's the deal. I know you want a thousand leads. And right now it is my job to make sure that we can understand how to do that. Right now I'm experiencing some challenges because we haven't been able to hit that for several quarters in a row. So I would really like to understand how you think about this and would it be okay if we spent, or would you be opposed, use the language of, would you be opposed to spending 30 minutes with me every Friday talking about sales and marketing? Because I would love to learn from you so I can better achieve this goal. When they learn that you want their advice and their buy-in, you're now building this relationship of, you know what, they may say a thousand leads, but the reason they said that is because the board's pressuring them. So you need to help him better communicate to the board, him or her, what the value of marketing is. So I think like we have to think outside of this little tiny pain box and figure out what the symptoms are actually causing the root. This might be referred pain in an organization instead of actually like actual pain inside of a, an organ per se. So that's how I would approach that. Oh, uh, so good. I wish I had Allie in my early career. I, I need Allie now. Like just <laughs> Oh, Allie back then wasn't that smart either. <laughs> just, just make smart decisions and uh, have those good conversations. I, I think that is so true. Like so much of it is understanding what that person's 
above you's pain and problems are as well, or what that sales leader's pain or problems are, or what, I mean, you just, most of the time you just don't know. It's just ignorance of like what, what somebody's asking of them or, or they're just naive to the problem. You know, mm-hmm. your tactic or your strategy inside and out. And you assume like, Hey, they're a smart marketer. I know they know this stuff. Right. And they just might not know. So like education is super important too, right? Like internal education in terms of what you're doing and, and why you're doing it and how all those things kind of work together to move that ship. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The board's pressure me to do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes the organizational structure is going to limit you too, right? Like we built up our sales team to deliver X, Y, and Z thing. If we don't have this no leads to give them, they're sitting there with nothing. So, you know, you just got all these layers of things that in some of those cases, like this was easier to say two years ago, but like you may have to look for another role or another job, or you may have to find a spot that like fits in. Cause if you're getting burned out and you are the person who's looked in the mirror, you're having those conversations, you're still not seeing that change. Like, you're probably not going to be the person to make the change. (laughs) I mean, there's a very real consequence of not being in the right culture. That is true. But there is also a healthy realization that if everybody believed what you believe, you would probably be the leader of a company. You would probably be in charge. And even then, even then, we're always up against someone else's perception of what the value is that we do. So you have to rid yourself of the thinking that one day everyone's going to understand me. And one day I'm going to be fully appreciated because if you ever go through counseling personally and try to figure this out in your relationships, they'll say you don't understand your value, which is why you question other people validating your own value. So not to get out like, you know, woo, mindfulness and everything here. But like, if you're looking for external validation on what you are trying to do, like you might want to look inwardly again. Oh boy, I think that's a great (laughs) spot to close out it. Like I'm very inspired at this point, Allie. Like if you knew, like we've had a few conversations, but like, man, that's so good. I think that's a huge part of it. I think mindset is so important. I think in how you, honestly, it sounds silly, but like how you do your sort of content marketing job, it's important. How you do life, it's important. Like it all matters and how those things come in. I mean, my goodness, how many people are just, waking up desperate for validation on social media, desperate for how this thing's going to perform, desperate to be seen as a success by their boss, like all of those type of things. Boy, I know I've lived that life and I live that life. So I think, yeah, just having the right mindset, being able to go into it in that way and try to actually change the way you're thinking to be able to change what you're doing and those actions that come out of that, like super huge. So Allie, this has been a blast. I'm having so much fun. I feel like we're going to do 2.0. I've said this with multiple guests, but like definitely got to have you back on to keep jamming because I feel like we could talk for hours, but I will not do that in this episode. So (laughs) thanks for coming on. It was super fun. Yeah, I love it. Let's do it again. Awesome. Thanks. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.